I do get a little emotional sometimes, but um, I this is a treat to be able to share with you today. And I will say it's ironic when you know what, well, maybe, um, well, you can put up the first slide. It's going to tell you what the topic is. But this, you know, we were, um, Jason had asked me when he went out of town to do this. And that's the, the day we kind of had some ice and church got canceled and we couldn't, um, we couldn't get it uploaded uh, onto the Facebook page. And so that's when we kind of said, well, just do your own thing, I guess. And, and the, it, you know, Scott was saying, he's like, don't you think it's funny that you're speaking on waiting and now you have to wait another long while before you talk about this? And, and I do think it is, you know, because when you prepare, you know, as Jason probably feels this too, which I can't even imagine every single week doing this, but you, you dive so fully in <clears throat> to your topic that you, I mean, you are so connected to it. You're thinking about it all the time. It feels like it becomes a part of you. It, it does kind of shift the way you are looking at your own life. And because you've put so much of the time into it and study into it. And and then for it to just go on pause and it's like, well, you're going to have to do this not until the end of March, which was totally fine that it had to work out that way. But I was like, oh, I really do have to just wait and trust the Lord's timing on this. But um, this, this, Jason had originally said, you know, let me think about what, you know, what we're doing and what maybe you would be talking about. And, and then he finally just said, why don't you just pick what you're, what you feel God has put on your heart, which is, which is in one way, you know, this really cool thing that you get to choose whatever you want. But then on another, on the other hand, it's like overwhelming, you know, cause there's so much, but this topic has felt very close to home for me. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> um, waiting, and I think you can all name something that has not gone the way you thought, right? Or is a pause? Um, you can't fix it. So let me pray. Lord, you are faithful. That's what you are. There's a lot of words in scripture for you. They um, hit us at different times and different seasons. We kind of hold on to certain pieces of you because we need them and the faithfulness of God is a rock solid underneath of us thank you for that so I don't want to get emotional (laughs) because I have too many things to say so will you just um, give me your words and uh, lead this time Lord just we all really can name if, if I asked every single person in here and Uh, online to just write down the scenario that for them feels uh, like it's not fixing or whatever, Um, it's going on too long, we would all be able to name at least one thing, if not many more. So um, I just ask you to bring your comfort and a little perspective to us, Uh, because this is... uh, 
we're in a waiting time as a nation, obviously. That goes without saying, but our particular personal circumstances are um, can be like a burden on our backs, and we, we give them to you because you, you tell us to, because your yoke is easy, and your burden is light, so thank you. This is actually not a depressing sermon at all. It's actually very hopeful. Um, <laughs> I love that in the ESV, when you look at this verse in Isaiah that says, those who wait on the Lord will be renewed. And is this right? Do I have this the right way? Okay. Um, if you look at the ESV, there's always a lot of great notes under there for you as you, uh, you know, if you study, when you study scripture. But it says, um, waiting on the Lord is savoring God's promise by faith savoring his promise until the time of fulfillment. The word renew means finding endless supplies of fresh grace. It's constantly falling over us. Psalm 103 says, put your hope in the Lord for in him is unfailing love. It doesn't stop. It doesn't waver. It doesn't tire. It doesn't finally run out. None of it. His redemption actually overflows on you. It overflows like the great Niagara doesn't run dry. That's, that's never run dry. So lots of waiting. I hear a lot of stories. I work with, um, I work with people as, uh, as I've been a counselor and a coach, um, and you see the waiting happening. I, I have a woman I work with right now who's very driven. She's super smart. She's an AP um, history teacher. She loves her kids. She loves learning. She loves teaching. She's very much this person who's accomplished a lot in her life. And she got COVID, which was then translated by her doctors as she's a COVID long hauler, which means it's good. You know, she couldn't end up going back to school that year. And so as I was working with her, this kind of productive life was kind of halted for her. Um, so she's waiting. She's waiting for this, you know, she's having to sit on her couch. She's having to slowly start to re-engage with life, but lots of waiting. I have a dear friend, actually, a few dear friends who are older and single. Of course, I, if you don't know, I, I didn't get married until just a couple years ago in my mid-40s. So I, I understand the waiting in that way, too. But I have some good friends who are waiting. Relationships haven't worked out. And she's in a constant state. She cannot control it. I have friends with children who are no longer walking with Jesus, and they're just waiting and praying. Um, my husband's looking for a job for well over a year and a half, which now he has, thank the good Lord. But when I wrote this, he didn't. <laughs> so, you know, waiting for that. Chronic health problems, illnesses, marriages that feel stuck, infertility, which a lot of people struggle with. We're waiting, right? We're awaiting people. Um, life is not as we expected it to be. Um, but God is a God. If you look through scripture, I love how many words renewing, restoring, rebuilding, um, redeeming, resurrecting. This is his MO is to take something that is broken and to bring a fullness out of it. Take something that is not yet and, and bring out the best of it. I think it would be worth us teaching our kids a little bit more, uh, the reality that life doesn't actually go the way you think it's going to go. Like, what a great thing from the time they're very little to be instilling in them, not in a depressing way, but it is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. You can get into that college and it's still not going to go the way you thought it was going to go. You can get this SAT and maybe you still don't know what major you, right? Like, life is always throwing us these curveballs. 
So there's a warning in scripture that I want to show you back in Deuteronomy. I guess this is up here. I'll read a few of these verses with you, but you have them up here. I don't know if this passage is familiar to you. This is when Moses is has been leading the Israelites through this long wandering period of time in the desert, a time of waiting for them, trusting in him. And so in Deuteronomy, now he's about to enter into the promised land, a land flowing with streams and pools of water. It describes a little bit before that springs that gush out into the valleys and hills. It sounds like a beautiful place, right? Land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey is a land where food is plentiful. Nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper as abundant in the hills. And this is what it says in verse 10. When you have eaten your fill... Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. This is a time to be careful. This is when we should kind of pay attention. When things are going well, be careful. Be aware that in your plenty you don't forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous, and have built fine homes to live in. And when your flocks and herds have become very large, and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful, Moses says, be careful. Don't become proud at that time. Don't forget the Lord your God. I mean, how many times does he say it? Who rescued you from the, from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it Wait, I got to change my piece of paper where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown even to your ancestors. Now, this is what I want you to see right here. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. This was an act of kindness that he led them through the wilderness, through the desert, through these hard times and fed them even from heaven He did it to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all of this so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved all of this wealth, right? Like if you read Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he did, right? He went out on his balcony, look at this great kingdom that I've built for myself. And then immediately taken out into the wilderness and become like a beast. It's kind of an interesting story, although he did return to worshiping the one true God. So remember the Lord your God. So this is the warning for your own good. We don't tend to do very well with our relationship with the Lord or kind of staying in um, sync with him when life is, is without tension or struggle. He's not a killjoy. He's not trying to find all the hard things and plant them into your life so that you just grow all the time. It's not that. But he knows that the communion with him, the intimacy with him, the leaning into him is the greatest thing. He says to Abraham when he's sharing with Abraham about um, what, you know, he's going to be the, the father of many nations. And he says, I am your great reward. I'm your, re- I'm the end of the story for you. There's not, you can aim for something, but this is the thing that you really want is him. It's the thing that I really want. So when we're prone to forget him, pay attention. So God values, God values waiting. It's actually, I think about it like a workshop. This is the time when he does this great work. Um, It actually can encourage us and change the way we think about it. But supernatural transformation is one of the most compelling declarations about the reality of the Holy Spirit. 
supernatural transformation in a person's life, the ability to love your enemies, the ability to be patient when you have endured much suffering, the ability to still worship when you have nothing left inside of you. That is the most compelling declaration about the reality of the Holy Spirit. Heart change at this level is a display of God's power. So when you talk about to your kids, you want live a life that glorifies God, it's that you would live a life that actually displays him, his competence, his trustworthiness, his goodness, that you believe him in times of drought. That's the display of God's power. So this is what he's doing in our lives. He's changing us. And in the waiting, he's changing us just like the winter underneath the ground, right? He's doing this work. So God is actually a slow God. And it's a different way of thinking about him. But I think it's really important. He's not dead, deaf, or distant. He's not cold or uncaring. He's not detached or ignoring you. But he is slow, and you can mistake them, right? You can misread him and think that his slowness is his absence or his distance or that he's detached from you and what you're going through. We're going to look at how that's just fundamentally not true. He's actually doing a a work of cultivation. If you are being cultivated into those divine qualities are being cultivated in you, that does not happen like, like Amazon Prime happens. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen like the drive-through we went through at Chick-fil-A yesterday, and like in five seconds we all got milkshakes. That doesn't happen with the cultivation of selflessness in you. Um, it doesn't happen like that when he is trying to bring humility, one of the most important qualities any believer can have. That doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen quickly. It's a cultivation. So when you are in that pause, when you are in situations where you can't fix it, where it doesn't feel like things are kind of solving or there's no conclusions um, sort of opening up to, to this long haul you've been in, take it as a telltale sign that God is up to something crucial. Even the story of Joseph, I would encourage you, if you're in a time of waiting that's been really hard, I I was reading Genesis just because I was, but this story of Joseph came back to me at just the right time. It's Genesis 37 through 50, if you need to go back to it. But in Genesis 41, it says that Joseph named his son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. It's a fruitful place. It's a hard place, but it is a fruitful place. And we have this modern, I would say, challenge of waiting because in the 21st century, I feel like every company is looking at the fact that you have to wait for a minute as a problem to be solved, right? So Amazon created this way to solve that problem. The fast food industry is trying to solve that problem with you. Self-checkouts trying to solve the problem of waiting. So we actually look at, most companies look at it, it's like a mission to accomplish that. Make it less for people. They don't have to, don't, we, you don't need to write a card anymore. Just send a text. You don't need to look that up in scripture with your actual Bible. You know, we used to have to go to the back to the little concordance, find the one little word and figure out where it was. And now you just, you and I, I mean, I do it too. We just search it really quickly. We don't have to look in a card catalog anymore. I mean, some people don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that. So this is just a different time and it's eliminated our strength and endurance in a lot of ways. We've become, I think, very fragile people. I, I work with a woman. We were having this conversation about the obsession with comfort in our lives here in America. And 
And I said, you know, and she has a son who's in high school. And she said, oh, my gosh, he was like so devastated that he was supposed to get his Amazon delivery today. And now it's not going to come till tomorrow. And he was like so annoyed. And I was like, yeah, because this is what's happening. We're becoming fragile because we don't have to wait. Um, and so this, uh, uh, there's a quote here by Henry now, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll read a longer one too. But I do love that he says the word patience means the willingness to stay where we are, a willingness, and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something is hidden there and it's going to manifest itself to us. Uh, there's something hidden in this place of waiting. It's like a treasure, um, but we often try to escape it. We often try to fix it too soon or distract ourselves. So let me read this, this quote. Oh, I think I put, yeah, I put this, this, uh, Henry now, and if you don't know him, well, I mean, he's not here anymore. He died in 1996, but he is, brilliant and precious and he is a contemplative he he is a he's a dear soul he's had a huge impact on me I, I used to tell my students it would actually even be a question on their test like who am I sitting next to in heaven because of course I'm not going to sit next to Jesus everybody's going to want to sit next to Jesus but I want to sit at least while I'm waiting in line for Jesus sit next to Henry Nowen most of us consider waiting as something very passive even kind of a hopeless state determined by events totally out of our hands. The bus is late and we can't do anything about it. So we have to sit there. We just have to wait. It is not difficult to understand the irritation people feel when somebody says, just wait, just wait. Words like that push us into passivity. But there is none of this passivity in scripture, right? Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Joseph, Esther, Job, Habakkuk, Simeon, Anna in the New Testament, us. There's none of this passivity in scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting actively. They know, this is one of my favorite, this comes to my mind all the time. They know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they're standing. Right here is the secret for us about waiting. If the wait is if we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it totally changes the way we wait. Your antenna is up. You're looking for God to do these things, to communicate with you, to be present. And how often we miss this because we avoid waiting with our distraction or staying busy or escaping or whatever. But God is actually trying to solve a bigger problem here. And it is typically things like fear or idolatry or impatience or selfishness, pride, shallow relationship with him. And the work is a hard and long, it's, a, it's an enduring work. And he's trying to solve that problem. Our problem, you know, the story of the man who's brought through the roof by their friends, right? with his legs paralyzed, which is just such a crazy story that here they're breaking through the roof of someone's house. Can you imagine? And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And I think I would be like, what about the legs? You know what I mean? What's going on? We didn't bust through the roof for anything but these guys, right? But if you read Tim Keller's book, A King's Cross, which I would, or Jesus the King, I think it changed names. It is, it is one of my favorite books. But he says, he's solving the biggest problem for this guy, which is his sin. And if, he, if his legs worked, you can imagine in two years, though he would still be probably very grateful for that, he would get used to it, right? But his biggest problem is his soul is disconnected from God. He is not in relationship with Jesus. And that is the first thing that God wants to repair. So, so I'm going to share about two stories with you. 
And I think they are both familiar to you. And in this, I want you to think about what you are waiting for. And like the psalmist, you've probably cried out, how long, O Lord? How long do we do this? How long? Right? Which is what I love about the Psalms. And he welcomes, the Psalms remind us this, he welcomes that kind of honesty. But the first story, which I don't have up here for you to read, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell it, is in Mark chapter 5. The other one is in John chapter 11. So Mark chapter 5 you have two people, two key figures in this story. And Jesus is on his way. Now he's gaining fame, tons of people following him. People are hearing of his healings. And there is a man of high position who comes to Jesus and he begs Jesus because his daughter is is dying. And he is going to ask Jesus for, for him to come and heal her. And he's, can you imagine, so I want you to think about, he's of a high position of power. He probably does get a lot of things accomplished, probably maybe, I don't know, doesn't have a lot of barriers, maybe because of his position, but he is desperate and he's panicked. So it's like a, it's like an urgent situation he's facing. Now, if Jesus says yes to you when you're in that situation, I mean, can you even imagine how you would feel? And this man has great faith to even, to even come to Jesus this way. While Jesus is on his way there, there's this large crowd, and you have the other key character in the story, who is a woman. So this guy's daughter, who is 12, is dying. This woman has been, for 12 years, as long as this girl has been alive, has been hemorrhaging and weak and outcasted. Okay, she can't even, probably has not had a hug, right? Like she can't, nobody's going to touch her. She is an outcast. You'd be considered unclean if you touched her even just bumped up against her. So what a risk, right? So she is, she is not panicked as much as she is weary and desperate. He's panicked. He's in a rush. His situation is urgent and she is just weary. And it's kind of like, she's going to many doctors. She's, it's grown worse. Her illness has grown worse. She spent a lot of money. So she just grabs the hem of his clothes, right? almost in a superstitious kind of fashion where I I want the healing. I don't really know this man. I don't need to, I just, I've heard about him. I'm just going to, now, interestingly, Jesus feels this power go out of him. And this man is kind of leading Jesus through the crowds to get to his daughter. And Jesus stops and says, who just touched me? which is, first of all, and the disciples know it too, is a weird question because you are surrounded by people who touched you. And he says, no, I know somebody touched me. Now, can you imagine being this guy? Like she's on the verge of death and he's getting distracted with somebody else. It would be terrible. You would feel terribly afraid that he was stopping. And yet you don't want to be selfish. And who knows? And he doesn't know that someone's just maybe been he. He just knows that Jesus is stopping. The disciples are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so there's this whole thing. Jesus says, no, I, I need to find her. And so he wants to find her to make eye contact with her, to call her daughter, to tell her basically that he sees her, um, that she's worth communicating with, and that here his, he's not unclean. His purity went into her and changed her. And so Jesus stops and has this very brief exchange with her, which was basically 
to deal with the soul issue, the relationship, and the and th- this kind of bond. Because that is always what he's after. In your waiting, this is what he's after. He's after this. So he goes, you know, these guys come back and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. And, and of course, if you know this, Jesus says, just believe. We're going to go back. And just a few of them went in, and, and she was raised from the dead. And... Um, and praise the Lord for that man, you know, but what a, what a test of faith even for him. But, but this is the reminder. He is always looking to connect with you. It is his goal. And he is always trying to build relationship with sinners, which is always the greatest, greater miracle. He's always trying to bolster our faith, which is the greater miracle because it will last through your life, right? You'll be the rock. You'll be the house built on the rock. So he's getting at something deeper. He's not looking to fix us. He's looking to connect with us. So the second story is John chapter 11, and I'm putting up a few verses here. I'm not going to read the whole story, but this is the story of Lazarus. And um, I just want to show you some of the beginning because there's a few really important, I think, takeaways here. So when he heard, so so Mary and Martha are really close to Jesus. Lazarus is close to Jesus, was one of Jesus' friends. And Jesus is with the disciples in another town. They get word that Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha want him to come home because they want him to basically keep him from dying. And Jesus waits two more days. He literally knows that he's meant to go and he waits two more days. It's an intentional decision to delay what they're asking, asking him to do. So it says this, and then he heard this. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Again, revealing who this God is and what his kingdom about is about, which is a kingdom upside down from this world. And now Jesus, this is what I thought was so fascinating. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He loved them. Therefore, he stayed. You can't miss this connection. He loved them, so he waited. He delayed what they wanted. He paused. He said no initially. That is crazy. That is not how we think about the love of God, right? But it says it right here. He loved them, and so he waited. He stayed where he was. After he had said this, He went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And here you see the same kind of thing you see in Deuteronomy. And for your sake, it's for your sake. It's always for your sake. What he's doing is always for my sake and not in a self-absorbed way for the better of who I am. I'm not in the center of the story. He's trying to make me more like him so that he gets more glory. So for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. These are the other worldly plans of Jesus. These are the, they don't fit into our world. They are not the goals of the average American, right? We want comfort. We want ease. We want things to go well. We want health, recognition. We want money, right? We want power and fame. We want position and authority. And we want things to go our way. And this is not the kingdom of God. It is humility, selflessness, endurance, to love and hold on to truth even when it costs you, forgiveness of those who have hurt you. This is another kind of kingdom. 
So there's a necessary lens that I just want to stress here for you. You have two options when you are in a time of waiting and how you are going to view that time. And it does not mean, let me make sure I say this, to minimize how hard it is. And it doesn't mean that you are always, you know, you feel no sadness, you feel no desperation. You feel, No, these people feel desperate, it's clear. So he's not saying take away the authentic struggle of this. That is actually probably why we lean more into him with prayer, right? But think about it. He is either being cruel or he is doing a crucial work. It's one or the other. He is either being cruel or he's doing a crucial work. So these are, these are the two pieces of the lens. He is always, always, always at work on our behalf. Chapter, John chapter 11, 15, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there to fix it. Tim Keller says this, if God seems to be unconscionably delaying his grace, it's because there is some crucial information that we don't yet have, some essential variable that's unavailable to us. There is something we just really need cultivated in us. And if he seems that way, be careful you don't conclude that he's that way. The other piece of the lens, so first of all, he's always at work. This is not like dead space. He is always at work. But the other piece that is really important to this lens is that you know he's compassionate. He's sensitive. He's empathetic. Actually, his emotional um, self is very much connected to you over your hardship. He wept over Lazarus and death and the whole idea of it, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. I love Exodus chapter 3, where he's talking to Moses, about to ask Moses to lead the people of Israel. And he says, I've heard the cries of my people. I am concerned about their suffering. So I'm sending you to go to them. I'm concerned about their suffering. He feels compassion over your situation. He is not hardened to it or flippant about it. He wants us to bring it to him. If we don't kind of think with this lens, we will sink into bitterness and maybe even walk away from Jesus when hardship is there. If we don't kind of look through this lens of he's always at work, there's something going on, it's very valuable and he cares about it, he's compassionate and loves me, we will become anger we will become angry and bitter and and possibly even just walk away or detach from him. So have this hope because your soul is producing a harvest. This waiting time is producing a harvest for your soul. So there's two parts of this harvest, I think, that's happening there's deliverance from things that are in you that need to be removed. There's deliverance from patterns of sin and strongholds, maybe generations deep. There is, there, you know, there is um, certain idolatry that you feel like you can't live without something. We all battle it. That's why idolatry comes up in scripture all the time. So there's deliverance and then there's new growth. So the new growth, the deep roots growing down into you, Colossians 2, 7 says this, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So he's getting rid of some things and he's putting new things in us. He's getting rid of the old self and he's putting on Jesus. And when you start to reflect the presence of Jesus here, think about it. As a side note, when he was, you know, after 
he had resurrected and, you know, they were all so glad that he did. He said, it's better for me to leave than to stay, which I would have been not okay with, right? You've been invested in him, his ministry for three years. You followed him. You've sacrificed. You even admit there's nowhere else. We have nothing else. And he says, it's better for me to leave. Well, it's better because of the spirit of God in each of you. Now his presence goes where you go. You take it with you. Kind of what Jason was talking about to be that blessing, so there's a few things before I go over this list. Let me read this one verse because it's this renewal and the strength. Isaiah chapter 40, which I know you've also heard, but have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He never grows weak or weary. And no one can measure the depths of his perfect wisdom applied to your situation. He gives us power. He gives power to the weak and strength strength to the powerless, which you all have felt. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall into exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will renew, the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So strength is renewed, right? And these are some of the ways in which he renews strength. He gives you through these times, you will learn to open your hands and be surrendered more and more, which makes you a less fragile, anxious person, less irritable person. You will have gratitude that bubbles up over the smallest, most simplest things that are, they don't, they just, they're not even that big of a deal and they matter so much to you because you've been struggling and you see God do the simplest thing. Someone bought you your cup of coffee, you know, someone cared enough to stop and say hi and ask how you were doing or pray for you. Prayer becomes an outlet, I mean, an overflow of these times, I think, as you lean into Jesus to gain strength. A stabilizing faith that's not shaken by all of the craziness. You're not, as Paul says, tossed by every new philosophy that's out there. You're not tossed by that. You are stable and strong. You have a fundamental trust that God is for you and that he is the reward. So I want to um, give you an example. I think I put it up here of Abraham in Romans. Yeah, okay, this is one of my favorite passages. Romans, uh, this, this is a great passage to see very specifically that Abraham is renewed in strength, okay, and renewed in faith. So you know that Abraham was given the promise of many, you know, that God was going to, to bring many descendants from him. And he was old, and his wife was old, and it's kind of like, how are we going to have many descendants? Um, how is this going to work? Which is always how God does it, right? The most impossible situation is just exactly where he wants to do his explosive work. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and he creates new things out of nothing. That's who Abraham fixed his eyes on. You bring the dead back to life and you bring new things out of nothing. And even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. Wouldn't you want that said of you? Even when there was absolutely no reason to hope, he kept hoping because he believed in a God who raised the dead. In fact, his faith actually grew 
stronger. Abraham was never, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith even grew stronger. This is the renewal of hope. This is the renewal of strength playing out in someone's life. This is not because Abraham was some great person. This is because God, he was leaning into God and God was renewing his strength. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced, fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead. So let me just end with giving you a couple practical steps, because while you're in the waiting, it's important And I would say the disciplines of the faith are a really huge part of this, you know, prayer and contemplation and meditation and um, worship and communion and church, even creativity and the celebration of the things that God is doing in our lives. But practically speaking, I think leaning and you guys as a church, you do this well. I think you come under a leader who cares to do that, to lead you well in this with the spirit of God leaning into the spirit of God and daily asking him for strength and daily asking him for eyes to see and ears to hear and record those things. When he shows up and shows you that he's present through the smallest of ways, maybe through creation, maybe through other people, maybe through scripture, pay attention because he's trying to give you, he's trying to remind you that he's in this with you. Meditate on God's word, marinate in it. Let truth actually influence and inform you. If you are not in scripture, how do you know that he's who he is, that he's with you, that he's near to you? How do you get these nuggets of truth like Abraham, like when Abraham had no reason to hope, he kept hoping. When I read that, I'm like, make me like that. Make me like that, right? So marinate in it. Let it shape you. Direct your thoughts. Let it quell your fears. It's meant to do that. Stay connected to your community. We can't do it alone. Actually, isolation makes these waiting times way more scary, seem way more permanent. It's, it's so easy to lose perspective unless we have other people sharing with us, like just carrying the torch for us or holding us up like, like who was it, Moses and Aaron holding up, or Aaron and who, whatever. They were holding up the arms of Moses. Okay. (laughs) Trust the process. This is a really important one, I think, and it's such a mental thing. Trust the process that what is growing requires time. But when you're in it, you have to believe and trust and ask. This is the spirit part. Like, Lord, spirit, give me the ability to trust you because I don't have, I don't feel like I do trust you. I don't feel like I have any reason to trust you. This isn't changing. But let the time, let this process unfold. Believe that it's a process, that it's slow, but, but that he's working. And then talk to your soul. I just read recently in an article by Tim Keller in The Atlantic, which is really cool that he was in The Atlantic. He's been, you know, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he's been going through lots of chemotherapy and he was writing about this experience and he said one of the things that has helped him is very much like what happens in the Psalms. He's telling his soul, trust in the Lord. Like you have to tell yourself when you waver, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Talk to yourself and tell yourself the truth. Finally, Isaiah, Isaiah 40 Um, says this, you and I are living in the reality of what I think is just like an Advent, right? I mean, Advent season is the season of waiting before Christmas, but I, I love it. 
I love Advent every year, but, but our lives are in Advent. And Isaiah 40 says, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, listen, there's shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, because he's coming, like he's coming to your situation, he's not far from you. Make a straight highway through this wasteland that feels like a wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. And then the glory of the Lord, which is what we all really need to see, will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. He is a way maker. He's making a way. He's always with a machete, just just thrashing through the wilderness to make a path. He's ahead of you doing that. I'm going to close with this verse. I don't have it up here, but I love this as almost a benediction to you. But, you know, we're waiting for him to return. We're either crazy or he's coming. We're going to keep being crazy people or the sky is going to split. And hopefully maybe today. I would love it if it were today. But this is what Isaiah 25 says. And I want you just to listen and take this in. And then I'll close this in prayer. In Jerusalem, the Lord of Heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. And there he will remove the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. And the Sovereign Lord will wipe away all our tears and he will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken and in that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted him that he saved us. He's going to come and we'll shout that. He's finally come. We trusted you and you're here, you know. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. He is coming, people. He hasn't forgotten us and he hasn't forgotten you. He's doing a good work. He's a good God. Let me try to pray. Okay. (laughs) Lord, thank you. Thank you that what we are hoping in is not a mist that's here one day gone tomorrow. We're not chasing the wind that we can't ever catch. We start seeing all these beautiful flowers pop up around us and and you remind us that death, the dead earth, the winter, um, that resurrection comes because you bring new things from nothing. You bring the dead back to life. And if you can raise the dead, every single thing in our lives comes under that. You can do it and you are doing it. The greater miracle, Lord, is that we need we need the faith to just trust you in it. And even the joy as we walk through it. 
thank you that you see us, that you would stop, even for that woman, stop and look her in the eye, that you do that with us. Let us connect with you that way. Let us believe that that's how you want to connect with us. Take take these words, take the truth of your scripture, um, just seal it into us, embed it into us. And like Abraham, when there's no reason to hope that we would keep hoping, even with all this COVID, Lord, we can have hope. It doesn't, it's not the end of the story. You are our reward. And we can meet you every day in the middle of it all. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.